Hey guys, before we get into the episode, it blows my mind that we're launching another podcast. And this time, I actually want to feature you guys as a guest. Now, if you're a six-figure entrepreneur who has your own podcast and you listen to the show, I actually want to interview you on our brand new podcast, which is called Six Figure Podcast Rebels. You just need to go to www.top100interview.com and you can apply to get featured. All right, guys, back to the show. What's up? Welcome back to the Changemakers Show. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Man, I got to tell you guys, though, I legit got COVID while recording this. So I was just chatting about it with my guests that we're bringing on today. And I'm like, hey, if I randomly just have this like brain fart and my, my mind just doesn't exist for a second and I can't put together a good question, please be a little forgiving and, and uh, hopefully it's going to be okay. But <laughs> overall, I'm actually way, way excited and, and have a ton of energy for this interview. I was actually on this guest podcast literally just a couple of weeks ago. And the reception for that episode was amazing. People love the content. They love the vibe that we had. And I'm really excited because um, this dude today who's coming on the show really brings the fire, but he's also another individual that has a podcast-related business and actually does what he talks about, right? There's so many people out there who are saying, hey, go and run Facebook ads to get clients and then do all of their client acquisition organically. Or someone out there that says, hey, agency model is the way to go and sells an info product, right? And, and has a completely different type of business and approach. So I'm really excited today because this individual really does preach about publicity. He preaches about podcasting. He has his own incredible show, Command the Brand, which I can't wait for you guys. Uh, command your brand. Oh my God, there it was. It was the COVID brain fart right in the middle of there. His amazing show, Command Your Brand, which we were just on Please welcome my guest today, Jeremy Slate. He's actually been tapped as the number one podcast to listen to by Inc. Magazine in 2019. He's a brand expert. He had over 71% growth for his business in 2020, which was absolutely incredible. Please welcome to the show. Dude, what's going on? That was a that was a fun intro, huh? Jamie, I'm I'm stoked to be here, man. And I started laughing when you're talking about like people that run Facebook ads and they haven't really done them and stuff like because dude, like the number of people that are selling a, a a product on like how to build courses or they're like coaching people, how to coach other people that are coaching people while they're coaching people. Like, dude, I'm like so done with all that crap. Like you, yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the fake guru, the bro marketers, the yeah. you know, all of that stuff that exists online, right? It's, I mean, it's a hugely overwhelming situation for people sometimes where they have to go out into the online world and try and decide, okay, who do I hire? Like who is the right person to invest? And so, Jeremy, I'm, I'm super curious. Tell us a little bit about the market that you're in, because I know we sort of teased the fact that you run a podcast style business, but tell us a little bit yeah. about what you do and how you help people. So uh, our company is called Command Your Brand, and we like to say we're not a podcast booking firm, but we're a PR firm for the podcast space. Um, my wife, Brielle, has been in PR for, gosh, like 12 years now. Um, and you know, I've been the podcast space since 2014. So like we really took her expertise as a publicist and mine as a podcaster and brought those together. Um, and at the same time, like, uh, we have five publicists on our team. Like every person we've hired is we hire people that have gone to school for PR. So like, we're really trying to build not just a podcast booking firm, but really a PR firm for the podcast space. Uh, and at the same time, we're also changing the way PR firms focus. Like, you know, people, when they work with Command Your Brand, they're, they're getting promised a number of bookings. They're not paying a, a monthly retainer. You may or may not get something, which in the PR world is, is a huge, huge difference. So we're trying to shift the paradigm in, in a lot of different ways. I'm really fascinated by this because I do see, I, I kind of feel like, you know, podcast booking agencies, there's a lot that are like to a penny and for me, I, I, I see a lot of those brands and they feel a lot like 
VA agencies. And I don't know if yeah. you've had any experience with those, but you know, the, the biggest thing that I find super frustrating a lot of the time is that, you know, and I've had this experience. I'm sure you've had this a ton of times where people just have this like cookie cutter response in the inbox, right? Like just blasting you through, Hey, have you seen my buddy, John, who is absolutely the wrong fit for your audience, but we're going to hit you up anyway to see if he wants to come on the show. <laughs> what, what do you think are like the biggest things that you see with your competitors that you just cringe about? Well, and, and here's the thing too. And that's like why it's been always important to me that like, you know, Hey, we hire people that have a PR background and that have done a lot of those things because I don't, I'm just not a huge fan of the, the cookie cutter pitch being sent to everybody. And, you know, like, I, I don't know about you, but like, I have like pet peeves about like pitches that I've gotten. Like, um, for me, my parents named me after an actor named Jeremy Slate, which made it a lot of trouble for me to get found in Google for like three years. So I started using my middle name and I was Jeremy Ryan Slate. So sometimes I'll get emails. Hey, Jeremy Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Um, or, you know, one time I got, Hey, Michael O'Neill. I'm like, yeah, that's definitely not my name. So like you, you, you get these weird emails sometimes or, the worst is, you know, when it came out of a like an email marketing program, when it was like, Hey, first name fix. And they didn't have your name in there for the name tag. So like stuff like that is like, is really rough, man. Um, and at the same time, like, and I, f I feel like that's part of like what I've brought to our company as well as that podcaster viewpoint. Um, you know, like what we're looking for and what we're thinking about. Cause I know for me, like when I hear from somebody, Oh, I'm a huge fan of your show. I know what's coming next. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's usually not genuine. It usually doesn't have to do with, with what's happening. So that's kind of affected how we write pitches. It's kind of affected how we try to portray what we're doing to podcasters because it's about how can you help an audience. It's about what you can you add to an audience and you know how can you really service the people that are in front of you. Like so many times, dude, like I've seen the exact same pitches. Oh, I'm a huge fan. Really? My name's not first name fix. So like I, I think it's really, really important to, to kind of personalize that message to what you're doing for a podcast. You know what I mean? It's, it's disrespectful to not. What I'm, what I'm super also excited about is the fact that you're a person that leads from the front, right? You have a podcast, you do a large amount of work with that podcast. I mean, the accolades that you got alone speak for that, right? The, the well, thank fact you. that you got recommended by Inc. Magazine as being like the number one podcast to listen to is a huge, you know, reward for the work that you've put in. Although we were kind of joking at the beginning of this. It's so funny that they never actually email you or tell you like, Hey, just so you know, you won this award. They're just like, ah, you'll figure it out online. My, my, my favorite is I set up and most people don't think to do this is I set up alerts.google.com uh, for my name and quotation marks. And like when you do get featured in something, like you'll get an email like, Hey, you were featured in blah, blah, blah article because it's weird. Most of the time when people include you in something, they don't tell you about it. Like, just like what you said. So like, I try to set up some stuff so that I'm not wasting time to find it. I wrote that down. folks. <laughs> Alerts.google.com. There you go. That's quotation that's marks are important too, because like, like a lot of times, like you'll get somebody else's like, like, here's the example. Like, let's say the, the words, Jeremy, Ryan and slate are in a sentence, but they're all like five words apart. You're going to get every article related to that. So the quotation marks get only the things in that exact order and spelling. Yeah. Any uh, notifications about new movie releases or anything like that as well? Or he died in 2007, man. So all I get are like uh, New York Times remembers or like, you know, back in the day as a poltergeist, like I get like these weird, like, you know, fan remembrance things. Well, that's always nice, right? It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the namesake. It's driving down the SEO score. Come on. Exactly. Folks. Why didn't you think of that when, when I was born, right? SEO probably wasn't a thing back then. So it's all I, I was born in the mid 80s, man. So none of that <laughs> stuff existed. 
No, that's killer. So, so listen, I love talking about the show. I love talking about, you know, what you guys have been doing to, to actually grow a brand. And, and I want to touch on that today. I want to touch yeah. about how you guys have grown. But what I'm really interested about is, you know, first of all, touching on why it's so important to get good guests on your show. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of your podcast? Because I know that, you know, as a somebody that does this for other people, you know the importance of getting great guests. But mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about how your show grew and, and how much great guests influenced that. You know, it's it's interesting because in the beginning as well, like I started this show back in, in 2015. And um, the first version of this I started in 2014, it was called Rock Your Life. And it was it was horrible. And I found out it was trademarked and I kind of quit from there. But like when I started this current show, um, Create Your Own Life back in 2015, I made a list of the top 100 people I most admired. And I reached out to him and kind of just went for it. Um, like the first person I reached out to was Seth Godin. And uh, he's like, Hey, good luck. I wish you the best of luck when you get to 400. Let me know. So, you know, around 390, I'm like, Hey, Seth, we're almost there. And he was episode 400. Um, But I think it's really important for a couple of reasons. And I, and I think the thing that you have to understand is like, I think out of the gate, everybody thinks like you have to know the thing from day one. Right. I found for myself that's evolved. Like it started as create your own life because I wanted to do things differently. And the thing you find is there's a lot of people that fit within that. And as you kind of work and evolve, like it's gone more to people that are world-class, people that are extraordinary. And I've kind of developed, I guess, from the interview is my own tenets of people that fit in that. Like, you know, they been through adversity, like in your own story. Um, They have, uh, you know, a lot of, not a lot of people define their success and things like that. So like, as I've went along, those tenets have, have grew as well. Um, And, you know, bringing that back in with the guests we were talking about. It's important because it adds to your own credibility, which is a big deal. But also at the same time, you want to give your audience the best possible person to talk about something, right? Like you want to give someone that's the expert about something or has the, ex- the experience about it because it shows people what's possible. And I think that's really, really important um, because at the same time, like you and I were talking about, like, you don't always know with, you know, some of these digital entrepreneurs and things out there, like, have they created something? Is it real? And that's why to me, when you're talking to people at a bigger level, you know what they've achieved, you know what they've done. And that's why it's really important to me to share that information because I want to give people, you know, the most important, um, you know, way to portray it. But at the same time, like it gets you the right positioning. It helps you get found in search um, and it builds your own positioning and your own branding. And I think that's important. Why do you think so many people undervalue it? Because there's a lot of people out there who will just interview anybody. There's, you know, some people who will say, okay, I'm just going to interview people that come to me. Maybe they try and get big names. Why is it so undervalued to some people, do you think? Well, there's two different viewpoints on it, right? Because there's, there's people that come to it from the viewpoint of this is about me and, you know, me as the host. And um, if nobody knows about you yet, then it's hard for it to be about you. You know what I mean? So I think number one, and as I said, there's two different viewpoints. So there's some people that come from it from that viewpoint. Um, There's other people that look at it as, oh, this is just another channel, right? So I have, oh, I have my YouTube and I have my Facebook and I have my Instagram and I have my, like they try to be everywhere and because of the water down each individual thing they do. So as I said, there's, there's not like a cookie cutter response, but there's some people that make it too much about them. And there's others that it's just a channel for them. And if you're going to do this, embrace it. You know what I mean? Really embrace it and, and, and really try to create a quality show. That's what it's about. Yeah. And I, and I think it's so important to actually have like an interest in the people yeah. that you're interviewing. Like, you know, curiosity is the number one thing that I love to see. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Great. Like when they're curious, when they dig in, when they, they like want to learn more about it, like the content is just so much more exciting. Like you can tell like people are actually, they give a crap, right? Well, that's been like, I guess a big deal for me as a host, because like, I I don't want to sound like a jerk, but like, if you're not 
interested, sometimes it's hard to make a great interview. And you, you know what I mean? Because it's like, I don't know, like for me, I've interviewed some of my favorite athletes, some of my favorite authors, some of my favorite, uh, you know, business personalities. And I've really genuinely be interested. Now, the thing that I've had to learn how to do is to ask questions from the viewpoint of someone listening to you so that you make sure it's valuable to them. Like, it can't just be about you, like, fanboying though I've, I've done that a time or two um it, it, it's the interest is important but at the same time like making sure you're asking questions that service the people that are listening to you because if you don't have them you don't have a show you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah that's actually a really neat segue because you know i i think one of the biggest things that is so fascinating about t- talking to you jeremy and a little bit before the show as well was this you know this discussion we had around this idea of, well, what are you actually doing to grow the business? Because mm-hmm. we both know the importance of podcasting. We, we know the importance of, you know, actually getting out and interviewing amazing individuals. And, you know, to a, to a degree, I think podcasting is so powerful because of the organic influence that it has. But after a while, sometimes people struggle to scale, they struggle to grow. So I want to touch a little bit on, on what you've done in the last year actually to grow the business. Because like we talked about at the beginning of the interview, you said you've grown 71% this year, which is actually huge when you consider, you know, this isn't a business that went from doing $1,000 last month to doing $2,000 this (laughs) month and you doubled your revenue, right? Like that's a pretty seismic increase based on the size of your business. So walk me through at the beginning of the year, what were you doing to kind of grow the business and, and how did it evolve through the year? So, so the interesting thing about it is um, we've always been big about writing up like standard operating procedures. Um, in our business, we have a different name for them. We call them hats, like the hat you wear when you're going to perform a job. You know, like a conductor wears one hat or somebody else wears a different hat. So like when we write that up, we're writing up like, how does that person have to be? What are they going to do in their daily tasks? What are the statistics that their post is monitored by? So like we, we're really big about writing that up. But the problem that we had, right? And I think this is something so many business owners have is you hire that first person, you write up that job, and then you're trying to survive doing other things. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to build the marketing, you're trying to do this, you're trying to do that. And you never go back and look at those things that you've created in the new unit of time of what your business is in. You know what I mean? Like, so we started hearing about, you know, a lot of what was going on globally with COVID. Um, and we kind of had an idea that the business world could, ch- I don't want to sound like I'm like Nostradamus here, but like we kind of had an idea that the business world could change based on what we were starting to see globally, globally around like February. So you what we, that. I mean, it would make a great episode title, you know, entrepreneur claims he's Nostradamus, like that's going to work. <laughs> you know, here's the funnier part about it is as we were growing up, uh, one of, one of my best friends, like didn't know how to say Nostradamus. So he saw it and he goes, Oh, Notre Dame I'm like, yeah, the fight in Irish buddy. Um, <laughs> but like, so anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, so like we were looking at what the kind of the trends that were going on we said, okay, there's going to be a lot of change here. And in order to actually like make it through this year, we're going to have to solidify a lot of what we're doing. So what we actually did around February, because that's when some stuff started changing, like the markets started changing because February, uh, January for us was an incredible month. Like we had our best revenue month ever. And the first couple of weeks of February were pretty quiet. Um, so what we actually did is we took a look at every position in our company. We looked at every job in our company. We're like, wow, this stuff is really outdated. Um, this isn't actually complete enough. Um, and we found that out by trying to hire somebody new. Um, we had four people on our team at the beginning of, of 2020. Um, and the the first publicist we had was the first person I hired. So, you know, I had created the position. She took the position over. I think you had talked to, to Brooke. I think she's who had set this up. She's, she's higher number one on our team and she's been with us from, from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she had taken that position and made it a lot better, but then like, you know, we refined process we did all these different things, but we didn't document any of it. So what we had to go through um, is we're like, okay, well, command your brand's growing. 
well, let's hire somebody else. So we hired somebody else and that's where we found out all the holes in our bucket were because they actually couldn't do the job. Um, so we, we learned that there was a lot of training things missing. So we're like, okay, well, let's take this time and document more about each one of these things because we can see the global landscapes kind of changing. So we sat down and we looked at our sales program. We wrote down every single thing that was missing about that. We made screen recordings to go with that. Uh, we looked at the statistics that we have for each one of those. Like for us, we're monitoring uh, number of appointments booked, number of calls, number of follow-up calls, things like that. So, and, and then we basically are, are looking at those every single Monday to decide what the week's looking like. Um, so we redid every single position in our company. We're like, okay, cool. Uh, March came around and all of a sudden the layoffs started happening. We're like, oh, okay, um, you know, what do you do? So I'm in a business group that meets every Wednesday night. And one of the people in our group is, uh, you know, one of the top HR, HR experts in the US. And she said, hey, this is actually a really great time to hire because people that are super qualified are now out of work. So I'm like, okay, well, in the past, we've only hired people we know. So now you actually have to build a hiring process. Like, what does that even look like? So one of the things that we then did is we had to build that hiring process because especially like, and I'll say this isn't legal advice. So like if somebody's hearing this, this isn't my legal advice, but like you can get yourself legally in a bad position if you're not doing the exact same hiring process for every person you bring on board. So since we were going to start bringing on people we don't know, we had to take a look at that. So we uh, basically found out how to write a good ad and used indeed.com to do that because you can, it's a, it's a great job board. But then we had to take a look at, okay, we got 120 resumes. What do you even look for in a resume? So we had to write down what we look for in a resume. Then we had to decide once we got somebody past the resume stage, what questions do we ask on an interview? Because everybody has to have the same questions. So we, 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 you know, we kind of went from 120 down to 20 interviews. And then those 20 interviews, we figured out, okay, we like these 10 people. And we went down to three interviews. And that actually is where we hired one person. That was 120 resumes to hire one person. And you know, we really didn't know a lot of this stuff before. So one of the things we did as well, and I don't remember the software we used, but we, we also took a look at um, personality testing as well, because you want to make sure like, hey, the people you're bringing on board, like, do they fit with your company culture? So there's a lot of different stuff we had to take a look at to have people in the right places. And then once we had more of a, a delivery team, we're like, okay, so the thing we need now is more traffic. And we had always done Facebook ads. We hadn't seen a ton of success with them. Uh, we do do some retargeting ads, which I know you got hit by, um, but we've actually had now around, um, we're now around April, we started doing a lot of Google ads and we saw a ton of success from Google ads. And now we had, you know, more people for our publicists to work with. So that was really interesting. But then as the pandemic started to get worse and more businesses are closing and changing and things like that around June, we had a really rough month, man. We had our, our second lowest month of revenue ever in five years. Um, and now I have more people to pay for. So like, I have to make sure everybody's eating. Like that's really important. Mm -hmm. So we took a look at what we've done. And in the past, we had had a couple different models. We had, you could pay us in full upfront for our services for either six months or a year, um, or you could split it into three. The thing we found is people's revenue was so tight, man. We needed to split this into six month payments. And uh, we then had to make sure that it, they were automatic payments too, because I don't need our sales team chasing uh, invoices once a month. So that was a, something we changed as well. And after that, in July, August, and September, we had three of our highest revenue months ever. So wow. it was a lot of that, you know, finding out how to hire because that's what scares a lot of people, man. Like it scared me at the time. Like, how do you hire the right people? Systemizing your hiring, figuring out then how to get more people into sales to feed that. Um, and then at the same time, like making sure people can actually pay for it. Like you want people to be able to afford your service. Yeah. I think it's so interesting because, you know, I see a lot of parallels in what you were doing, you know, building out the hiring process for us, it was building a lot of backend systems. You know, we were building, yeah. you know, with, with our, with our core structure and things like that. 
you know, how do we make sure that we can get more throughput, right? Like, and like you mm-hmm. said, you have to hire the right people so you could deliver more of your service so that you can yeah. sell more on the front end. And I think so many people forget that, you know, it's very easy to focus on sales, 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 traffic, traffic, traffic. But if you can't deliver a quality product or if you can't deliver it scalably, then it can start to really hold you back. And especially once you get to high multiple six figures and on the way to a seven figure business, this is one of the biggest things that you'll need to work on most of the time. It's, you know, do I have a good product? Can I deliver it scalably? And then how do I then bring more people in? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm super interested that you shared about the fact of the split payment option. We saw Mm -hmm. a huge shift once the pandemic happened from, you know, people paying in full, people paying up front, people going for, you know, high, big, expensive upsells Mm -hmm. to we shifted our whole entire focus to these payment plans, even on our upsells, right? We, We used to do an upsell that was $997 and people took it left, right and center as a done for you option. We ended up splitting that into a three and a six pay option. Mm-hmm. And it actually created a lot of consistency for our business. Because, it was huge. Right. You've got the money coming in every month. You've got that reliability. But people are, are taking these like monthly payment options way easier than, than what they ever had done before. And you know, the thing that's interesting about that too is like, because one of the options we were looking at is like, well, do you cheapen the service? Do you discount the service? And, and, we didn't want to do that because I, I like the thing you don't want to ever do is cheapen or discount your service because then like, you know, you're going to have your teams upset because, you know, they're working hard to get a product and, you know, not everybody's getting paid as much for it and things like that. You're going to have a customer that's just not going to value as much because they got a deal. Um, so like, I just wasn't willing to do that. So we're like, okay, how can we make this affordable? So, so stretching it out was, was really cool. And here's the thing that was interesting as well. And I don't know if you've seen this, right? Like, um, when you get a sales team that hasn't got a, hasn't been paid in a little bit, um, they press and it actually makes it harder to sell. Mm -hmm. And because they had payment plans and commission coming in off that payment plan, they started selling more. And I think that's what was really interesting because they weren't as focused on, okay, how how am I eating this week or how am I, because we do straight commission for our salespeople. And then we bonus them on like volume. Like they get a, their percentage goes up as they sell more during the week. So like if they're not selling, like they're not eating. So that was like a really important way to take a look at it is actually by doing the payment plans, they knew, okay, I'm getting X, Y, or Z the first, second and week, first and second week of the month, the third week of the month. Um, you know, and then I can add more on top of that. That actually made sales go up for that reason, because you know, how people think and how they operate when they're selling, it changed that. Because if you have a desperate salesperson sell up or show up, that's going to be hard for them to sell. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like the salespeople, they would rather have 500 bucks a month for six months than like three yeah. upfront, right? Like like spreading mm-hmm. it out like that gives them consistency, which you don't usually get in a yeah. high paid like sales job. And, and I guess as well with all of the uncertainty around COVID, it's it's reassurance for your team as much as it is for the the people who are buying your products. Yeah. And the, and the thing I did as well, like um, like I sold life insurance in my, in my mid 20s. So like, you know, like 10 years ago now. Um, but like, I took a lot of what I learned there and, um, and, and I applied it to straight commission, right? So like what you would do is you do what's called a draw on future commissions. So like, you know, let's say somebody does have a down week, you want to make sure that they still have, you know, payments. So you would say like, Hey, I'm going to pay you $500 this week, but you owe me that when you make the commission. And so all that was tracked, um, at the same time, like percentage bonus scales are great. Like, you know, like you can go to 11%, 12%, 13%. And, and, you know, next thing you know, you're selling more and you get that whole percentage on the volume. Like that's a big deal. So like, I've tried to figure out how you can incentivize and how you can make it more of a reward based on the hard work you're doing. You know what I mean? 
yeah, and, and I'm, I'm fascinated by that because there's so many people who are um, leveraging, you know, agency models and who are growing their business right now. And I know it sometimes feels like the salespeople are the last people that they hire. But I don't know if it's because as a, as a business owner, it was the first, it was the second person we hired. So the first person we hired was somebody to get me out of booking because that's where I started. And then I did sales and then I wrote up everything in sales. And then I found somebody to do sales because more money is what helps you to hire more people. Right. So like, and, and it, we did it in a weird way too. Cause it's like you, you, as, as a small business, like you kind of get stuck in that just you role. So mm -hmm. like I started in production, I was production sales. And then, you know, I went from there to being, you know, finding somebody to do production and then I had my wife over, you know, basically running our, our, our booking division, but we had somebody that was doing the booking. Um, and then I hired a salesperson. The next thing I did is I went out and hired some virtual assistants because you have some things that need to get done and that you don't need to do. Um, but you're never going to get so far if you don't get out of those, like some of your marketing actions, some of your like people going through your email and stuff like that. And then from there, you hire more sales and then you hire more production because you got to have, you got to have the sales to be able to pay everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. No. And, and I'm so interested by that approach because I, I think sometimes, and this might be a generalization on my part, but that is sometimes yeah. the last thing that people do. What, what's been like the key factors for you? Because hiring a good sales team, like we said, is the fuel for the business, right? What have been mm -hmm. some key things that, that you've done in that hiring process when bringing on those new salespeople to your team? So it's interesting because how I hired the first one isn't how I hired anybody after that. So we, I had tried for two years to, to find the right person to bring on to do sales. And I just could not find that right person. Um, part of it was I wasn't initially willing to do that draw on future commissions, which that's a game changer because somebody up front isn't going to make money. So you got to, that in itself changed the game. Second of all, um, you know, I happened to have a conversation with a friend that was like, Hey, you know, I'm looking for some sales work in addition to what I'm already doing. And I was like, wow, this is somebody that understands my business as much as I do. So like that was really, really important because I found that we have a technical product. We have a very different product. So how I talk about it was really, really, really important. So, you know, once I had that person, the way I brought the next people on is had them, you know, junior under him, you know what I mean? Like going on calls with him, working with him and doing stuff like that. But like hiring that first person in that area was really, really important because they had to get my vision. They had to understand how I think and they had to be able to, to you know, convey the level of trust that I could in what we do. Um, and as I said, I, I, I wish I could tell you that's a repeatable process, but I had a friend call me and say, Hey, I'm looking for work. And I'm like, great. Um, and you know, he's, he's sold almost seven figures for us and, 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 you know, the few years he's been with us. So like that, that's a big deal, man. It absolutely is. Yeah. And, and I'm really fascinated by this whole, um, you know, as you're growing the business and as you're scaling it. And I know before we came on the interview, I said, look, this is going to be what people are most interested in learning about is these yeah. tangible things that you're doing. So one thing I'm curious about, because we talk a lot about info products and course creators and coaches, and most mm -hmm. of the time, not always, but a lot of the time, the model is basically get a good webinar that converts, get a shit ton of traffic to it. And yeah. You know, as simple as it is, and you know, as everybody, all the gurus out there are like, no, don't give away our secrets, right? Like, that's basically it. But you're supposed for, to pay me $20,000 to learn how to do that stuff. Don't give away the good stuff, hold it back, hold it back. But like, I, I know that there's actually a lot of people in our audience who are agencies and will be mm -hmm. fascinated about, you know, the approach that you're using to continue to grow. This is yeah. kind of a double prong question. The, the first part okay. of the question that I want to ask is, What's been one of your biggest challenges, you know, to this for this year as you've been bringing on new team members and growing? Let's start there. What, what's been one of your biggest challenges, would you say, this year with your team and growing? 
Well, the challenge has just been making the training continually better. You know what I mean? Because because you you just find that every person has a different modality. You know what I mean? Like not every person's the same. So they, they learn differently. They apply things differently. So for us, it's been continually trying to, um, you know, make that training better. Um, and at the same time, like we've continually built a better quality control system. You know what I mean? Like how does somebody agree to what shows we're booking or what we're doing? How does somebody agree to what level of service a client's getting? So like we've had to really, you know, rewrite a lot of policy and we've had to, at the same time, like make sure we have better processes and better training because that's really, 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 really important is because I, I, the way I can explain this is like when you don't train somebody well and we don't have good training, you're always going to end up doing a part of that yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to continually find out what is that thing that I keep doing and what do I need to fix so that I don't keep doing that? Because a bad solution is, you know, creating a solution to fix your solution because you didn't fix it the first time. So, you know, we're continually trying to make better training at the same time, simplify, because I find a lot of times, especially because everything's so technological. Now people try to overcomplicate. They try to build complicated systems when actually, if you can take your process and simplify it more for the people you're hiring, you're going to cut the learning curve. So that's really what we've been doing is working on simplicity uh, and working on, you know, really just producing better, a better quality product all around because, you know, we're not the cheapest out there, but we do a great job for the people that work with us. I was interested to hear you mention then that the quality of what mm -hmm. you do has been a really yeah. big focus. Like, how did you discover that that was a metric you wanted to focus on from quality of shows to everything that you do? So for us, like one of our biggest actually not one of our biggest, our biggest feeder is our referral program. So like, you know, I know if we're doing a better job for our clients, you know, not only are they going to be happy, we're going to, we're going to make more money. Like we're just going to do better because it's been one of our biggest feeders. Like, because we do, we pay a generous amount for clients that refer to us. Um, and, but at the same time, they have to want to do that. They have to want others to receive what you've done for them. So like it's helped us to, to really get more referrals because our biggest so, uh, source of business is doing a great job for our current clients. Um, you know, we've had one client that just signed his fourth annual contract with us. He's just continued to work with us for the last four years because he's been happy and he's referred us business and everything like that. But if you're not continually trying to do a better job and, you know, book better quality shows and also prepare your clients better for interviews, because that's part of the problem as well. Like you can't not prepare somebody for an interview and expect them to have a great experience. Like that's vital as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a huge factor. And, and it obviously speaks testaments for the work you do to see so many people referring. And I always love to hear that, that referrals yeah. are a huge part of people's businesses. So the second part of the question, which I was really going to start with, but then I changed my mind halfway through. <laughs> it's fun when you can do that as an interviewer, right? Just like completely 180 on it. Yeah. Was, I, was gonna well, I asked somebody a question the other day and they got done and they went, huh? I'm like, oh, this is what I'm actually asking you. So I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. So um, the, the, the real question I wanted to ask, but I was curious about the first answer was, what are you going to be doing to go from where you are today to continuing to scale and grow? What, what does that path look like? Are you going to just continue to do what you're doing or, or are there any major um, focuses that you're, you're wanting to do to continue to grow and scale the business? So, so here's the interesting thing is like, you know, we've continued to refine our Google ads. And honestly, I think this is something you and I were talking about in our podcast is I finally hired an agency to do them for me. Um, so just even that tripled the results we were getting from Google ads. So that was a really big deal. Um, so we've built a better follow-up process around that. Like now I've even hired um, a couple assistants that help with the sales flow, which is a really big deal. Um, so that in itself has been a big boost in revenue. Um, the other thing as well is we, we changed our our structure in referrals too, because I find that like, um, 
what we used to originally do is pay people 10% of the total value if they referred to us. Um, and what we found is um, they, 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 you'd get different levels of referrals, right? You get somebody like, oh, go check out these guys. Uh, or you get somebody that actually did a really solid like job pretty much selling you. You get on there and, the, and it's done. Or you'd get somebody that you know, you'd follow up with them for a year and the person that referred still expected 10%. You're like, wow, I'm actually losing money on this deal. Yeah. So we actually took a look at that structure as well. And we said, okay, well, we'll pay 50 bucks for a lead. Um, and then what we'll do is we have different levels of what we pay. Um, if you're willing to jump on the call with us, we'll give you 5%. If you're willing to, you know, actually get the money and wire it to us. So it doesn't cost us anything as a, as a fee, we'll give you the full print 10%. But our, our standard, what we give somebody is, is $50 for a lead and then two and a half percent. So that's been able to incentivize people more to refer and refer like, and actually like help you do it. You know what I mean? Because it's, when it's just a, a suggestion, like it doesn't work as well. So we've tried to refine a lot of that stuff too. Uh, and that's been a really big deal, but just feeding our, our, our Google program more, um, hiring more salespeople. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, just doing better with our referral program, like that stepped up approach of, of how you, how you pay for referral has helped us to get better quality referrals. That might be my biggest takeaway of the interview so far. Because, <laughs> um, honestly, the, That was the- a trial and error thing, man. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting because I've had that ex- same exact thing where sometimes people like I've had sometimes people where they're like, hey, can you like come onto this Google, you know, go onto this Facebook messenger chat and like sell this person for me. And then I still want to collect like the full commission, you know, and, yeah. and we've had that before, you know, and, and we're like, no, like, dude, you send them to the sales page or you send them to the webinar and then they buy. Like, I'm not going to yeah. get on a call and sell these people for you. And then you still want the whole money. And it's always very difficult, I feel like, for affiliate programs because you get some people who are super into it and some people who just aren't, right? And they're just like throwing people your way and not really doing a good job selling it. Yeah. And like for us as well, like, you know, we we sell a product where we don't sell to anybody that won't get on the phone with us. You know what I mean? Like you can't just go on our website and click a buy button. Like it's just unless you're buying one of our smaller courses, like it just it just doesn't work like that. So um, you know, you can't just have an affiliate link. There has to be some, some TLC there. There has to be, you know, some excitement there. So that's why, like, like I'm saying, like servicing your clients even better and doing an even better job and incentivizing, like that's driven one of our biggest programs, which has been the referral program and, you know, just continually trying to do a better job and continually, you know, incentivizing in that way. Yeah, no, I, that, that was super interesting to me. So definitely like making notes here and like, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this interview and listen back to this. Um, one thing that I think is, you know, a, a silly thing for us not to talk about has been the immense growth of audio in the last six months, the last nine months, especially since yeah. the pandemic hit. Podcasts have just been exploding. I haven't seen any, you know, major um, reveals on statistics recently, but when they do finally come out, I think it's going to so be- So I can, I can give you some numbers on that. Around April of last year, we'd finally hit a million, which was, oh my God, it's a big deal because it like it took a bunch of years to get there um the last number i had seen i think it was listen notes or one of the companies i put out there was like 1.7 um like you know towards the end of last year so i don't know what it's at now but like we went from taking five you know five six seven years to get to a million all of a sudden we go from a million to 1.7 in like nine months like that's that's insane yeah and, and the thing that is really fascinating by that, and you know, just to break down those numbers, guys, if you start to look at that, you're talking 70 to 80,000 downloads a month on average. That's a lot of people coming in, consuming your content, you know, really getting in. 
And then we have the whole clubhouse thing, which I'm not a big lover of clubhouse personally, which I'm is not either. very counterintuitive. Everybody's raving about it. I think it's a massive um, distraction for a lot of people. I find it to be disruptive, man. Like I had to turn the, the notifications off on my phone because my phone's like having a seizure over there on the table. And it's like, I'm like trying to like open Christmas presents with my two-year-old and it's like, it's too much. <laughs> and at the same time, like, I don't know, like, you know, I'm doing calls, I'm doing a lot of writing and stuff like that. I don't have the time to just sit on there. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just, I, I don't know for me, maybe I could do a better job, but it's, it hasn't been exciting for me. For me, it's, I see a lot of people who are, you know, well systematized business owners, seven, eight figure business owners who basically don't do anything in their business anymore and yeah. see them experimenting on it. And I think it makes sense for those people. And then I see a lot of the new people coming in at the very bottom who it's a complete waste of time being in there. Unless you're going in for advice, then it's great. But if you're trying to grow your business, like you're going to just get distracted for 10 hours a day and not get anything done. But one thing I find fascinating about the whole audio trend is that it's just plowing more and more people into podcasting, into understanding that audio is so valuable. Mm -hmm. um, where do you see any, you know, shifts in audio happening this year? Is there anything that you can, you know, for people who are listening to this, they're invested in podcasting. A lot of them are, you know, already doing their own shows. Why do you think it's so important to double down this year? And, and what do you see maybe happening this year with audio? So you're pulling on the Nostradamus thing again here. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's really tough though, because I, I, I think, you know, you're, I've been, you know, you watch radio, you observe radio. And I, I think we're seeing a big shift away from that because number one, especially like pandemic wise, like people are in their homes, like, you know what I mean? They're, they're not driving, like the biggest place people consume radio is in the car. Mm -hmm. um, and people that a lot of people that are like, um, you know, like that do like, working on houses, construction and stuff like that. And there just hasn't been as much of that stuff as where radio is consumed. Um, and at the same time, like you've seen a lot of people putting, you know, connected cars and stuff like that. So they're in the car, they're listening to a podcast. It's like me, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I listened to a radio. Like I'm always listening to like something audio. So I think we're seeing the shift from more of a, you have to listen to this because this is what's on uh, rather than, and where now the consumer is, this is what I want to listen to. This is what I like to listen to. So I'm rewarding it with my listening habits. So let's create more of that. So I, I think we're in this interesting position where we're kind of seeing like we're becoming the media, if that makes sense. Because, you know, a lot of people don't trust legacy media as it is because they're like, am I getting real information? Am I not getting real information? What's verified? What's not verified? So like they're going to people they trust and they feel like they can have an understanding with. So I think we're really profiting off that in a lot of ways, because we're, we're, you know, if we're spending the time to do a good job and create trust and really create quality content for people, um, you know, people feel like they're building a relationship with us because they're spending time listening to us. So I think we're in a really unique position and where it's at. I'd like to tell you all the predictions for what I think could happen this year. It's just, it's so hard to say, man, because I, I couldn't have told you clubhouse is going to happen, but I, I do think we're shifting away from more of that traditional legacy media area to now it being less of a, um, I'm trying to think. So there's a book I read a number of years ago called The Lexus and the Olive Tree, but it's the theory of globalization. And it teaches about how global economies and how a lot of that happened. And he talks about this idea of the democratization of technology, meaning that as technology became cheaper, it became available to more people. But we're starting to see kind of this like democratization of media because it's becoming cheaper and easier to produce and more available. So it's becoming available to more people. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what we're going to in podcasting where a lot more people are having shows and things like that. And a lot more people have audiences to reach. Dude, that's very Nostradamus-y. I think <laughs> you, could, uh, you could definitely have thrown that out there as a prediction and we'll call it back, you know, but I think you're so right because there's so much, and I think, you know, largely pushed and I'm not a political person, but you know, especially yeah. with the election this year and, just the state of the media of what's been happening. So many people being sick 
of just like getting told fear, 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 fear. I think yeah. it's really interesting that there is much more of, of, a, of a push for people to be trusting. And it's almost like the rise of the audio influencer, right? It's the, where am I going for my information? What, what do I want to consume? Yeah, because like, you know, people come to Jamie because they're like, well, I've spent, you know, how many hundred episodes with Jamie? I know I can trust him. I know I'm getting good information for him. So why would I listen to something else that's depressing me? So I, I think we're really seeing kind of this interesting standpoint because like, you know, I don't care if it's CNN. I don't care if it's Fox News. I don't care what it is you're listening to. They make money off scaring the hell out of you. Like because they're advertising, they get more eyes, they get more ears and people and then advertisers sell to them. So I think it's a really interesting kind of shift of we're seeing a shift towards more positive, constructive content. And people are like, I'm just done with that. I, I want to create something cool and I want to learn from cool people. So it's kind of this interesting shift. It really is. Yeah. And I, I remember reading a while ago about, you know, this, this, uh, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it's a Gary Vee podcast episode or something talking about how he thought that, you know, years from, from now, there isn't going to be one, two or three big social medias, you know, it's going to be broken down in these, you know, micro factions. And it's, you know, a little bit what, what you're kind of talking about now, but with the mainstream media, right? Like yeah. first, it's going to be the mainstream media that gets broken down. Eventually that will probably happen with social media as well, who essentially is, you know, the media in a lot of ways as well. Right. Yeah. Cause I know for myself, like a lot of the media sources that I go to that even cover live events, like they're live streaming, man. Like they're not even like, they, they aren't your standard media stations. And you look and I was, I there was a, a presidential address, like I want to say three months ago. And I'm looking, there's like, a, there's like 250,000 people sitting on a live stream, watching this online on YouTube. I'm like, oh my God. So I think it's, it's really, really interesting because we're seeing people be able to go to different areas to get their news and get their media and get whatever it is that interests them. So I, it's, it's just really interesting the direction we're going in. Yeah. And you even have people like Snoop Dogg commentating on fights with YouTube boxers. That was pretty funny, man. Right? Like, you know, very, very different, not traditional fighting uh, commentary there, right? Something a little bit different. So, you know, so I, it happened last night. I didn't watch it, but I heard the, the commentary of it afterwards. But Nickelodeon covered their first football game. So they had like guys, they, they, they like, like dubbed in people getting slimed and stuff like that. And they like had kid announcers and stuff. And it's, so it's, it's really interesting, like how media is changing because they're actually trying to like service the audience. And I think that a lot of that's driven by podcasting. A lot of that's driven by Netflix and things like that because they're realizing they can't tell people, okay, so this is, these are the two flavors you have. You have chocolate and vanilla and somebody else is like, dude, I want Neapolitan. I want Rocky road. I want things like that. So like, you know, the, the consumer really has the ability to demand that now. And now it's actually being produced for them. And I think there's so many, so much more availability of creators. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges with, with any social media to start off with is a lack of creators, you know, and yeah. this, this is what you've seen by like the uprising with TikTok, right? Like, you know, there wasn't that many creators. So the ones that were there got so much distribution. And again, now it's like, it's crazy how much depth there, and there is in these different niches and sub niches. It goes kind of crazy, right? Yeah, I haven't been able to get into TikTok. I made one video. Uh, I made one and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the, like, greatest, the greatest video ever created. And then nobody watched it. It was, you ever, you ever hear the song, This Is Me from the movie, uh, The Greatest Showman? This yeah. is me. So I, I have a, a pet pig. So we filmed him walking through the yard with this playing in the background. I was like, oh, this is going to be the greatest video ever. Nobody watched it. I'm like, all right, I'm done with TikTok. Yeah, I did um, one so video as well. Mine was like, you ever see that, <laughs> that, that music where it goes, run? Well, it was me just running through a street in Croatia. And I thought it was the coolest shit ever with the yeah. green screen on the background. Like two views. Yeah, this was not going anywhere with that one. And that is the exact reason I'm not a TikTok influencer. <laughs> There you go. That's that's the secret right there. But actually, there's a there's a there's a guy I know, a guy called Zach Badcock, and uh, 
he, I know Zach. Like, yeah, right. Zach, Zach's really fascinating because I watch a lot of what he puts out there. And he's very experimental with a lot of these different brands. And he has a great TikTok following for podcasts and for his show. And, and he's done really well with it, which is super interesting. Yeah, it's just something I personally haven't been able to get into. You know, I, I spend a lot more time on LinkedIn, honestly. Um, I spend uh, a lot of time on Twitter, um, very little time on Instagram. Um, most of my time spent on, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter. There you go. So fascinating. I, I guess it's my age, man. I'm in, I'm in my mid thirties. You know, like Twitter was like the big deal back in the day when it came out. You see, if you could just do like a neat little TikTok dance, like, you know, that would have been the key, right? That If you, if you yeah. nailed dance moves, that would have been it. Exactly. <laughs> so fascinating. Well, dude, this has been such a fun interview. I feel like we went on some very fun, interesting tangents. Um, the final question that I guess I want to throw out to you there is for anybody that's interested in learning more about podcasting or really just throwing themselves at the deep end you've got a depth of experience that not many people i interview actually have with you know experimenting and growing a you know a successful podcast around a brand what would be like your number one piece of advice that isn't that isn't sort of massively shared by a lot of people you know a little tip that you might have for people oh man well i'd say first of all there's like there's no secret um, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I find that at least for me, like it's been being willing to show up every day and do the work. You know what I mean? Like, um, I've done over 800 interviews and it didn't take me until like 200 that I felt I was good at it. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, being willing to do that, being willing to study. Like I, I took a look at, you know, I didn't look at other podcasters. I looked at other good interviewers, like Oprah is a great interviewer. Larry King's a great interviewer. Um, and I looked at what do they do? And I found that, Hey, your first question isn't the important part. It's the question you asked or ask after somebody says something. It's that follow-up that's important. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, like it's really being willing to hone your craft and get good at it and being willing to stick it out more than six months. Because I find so many times people quit after six months. Mm -hmm. So you, you've got to be willing to stick it out six months to a year and continue to hone your craft and get really good at it. At least that's what I would tell people. I, like, I, I'm, it's no, no magic, man. It's being willing to stick it out. It's the work, right? If you put in the work, you put in the repetition and you stick at it, you're going to, you're going to yeah. eventually get good at it. Right. It's a, there was Absolutely. a great, there was a great quote, I think by uh, Dean Graziosi that I heard him say on stage at Phil Hacking Live once where he said, it's not about marketing skill. It's about marketing stamina. If you can mm -hmm. just stay in the game longer than anybody else, you're eventually going to be successful. And I think that's yes. the same when it comes to skills, right? No, a hundred percent, man, because it's that, I, I don't want to say the 10,000 hours thing is a rule because that's a lot of hours, it's but you have, you have to be willing to, to, to practice something and get good at it and be able to take constructive criticism. Like I know for myself, I was horrible at taking constructive criticism initially. So you have to be able to understand that and also understand where it's coming from. Cause some people give you constructive criticism that just isn't useful. Um, but you have to be willing to, you know, work at it and also at the same time, take the right type of constructive criticism to help you get better at it. Yeah. And, and I think it's so powerful. And honestly, the, and I want to throw in something there as well is if you're trying to do podcasting, try and do something that you actually enjoy doing. Like, yeah, I have way more fun with this show now than I used to with my previous show. Cause I actually have more fun with it. Like it's, and it makes such a big difference, right? No, it, it absolutely does. Like if it's, it's like we talked about earlier with guests, like if you're not interested in the people you're interviewing, then why are you doing this? You know what I mean? Like it's, you shouldn't be coming here every day to feel like you're, you're breaking rocks, man. Like that's not the point. So like it, it has to interest you. It has to be fun. It does. Dude, this has been an amazing interview. Thank you so much for being on the show. We, I didn't like collapse halfway through from COVID <laughs> malfunction. So that I made it good. through, man. I'm impressed. Uh, I, I was telling you, I had it like six months ago and like, I was like on my couch for like three days. So I, good work, man. Yeah, dude. I, I feel like I even started to get my taste back during this interview. <laughs> like, I don't know. You must be like not only Nostradamus, but I think you cured me in the process. So I'm Whoa. super- 
one. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Somebody take my blood and get a vaccine from this, right? It's gonna be really exciting. So as dude, long as you don't tell me I'm turning water into wine, we're in good shape here, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's the next interview. Tune in for the next episode where yeah, that's that's gonna go really well. So, dude, I want people to to follow you to actually go and and listen to our episode on your show and find out more about you and what you do. Where where's the best place for people to go to consume more of your stuff, dude? So if they want to check out anything on the podcast side, that's over at jeremyryanslate.com. Or if they're interested in like, you know, really getting more credibility, getting seen in the right way and, and really taking command of their brand, I put together an awesome white paper for them called the seven reasons you're not getting featured in your favorite podcasts. And you can get that over at commandyourbrand.com slash seven reasons. And the number seven or the word seven will work for that. Amazing. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'm super excited for people to actually listen to this episode. And more than anything, I'm, I'm just grateful for an interesting conversation and, and just for you being so willing to come on the show and share so much about your business. Not, not a lot of people are willing to go behind the scenes and share what's worked and also what hasn't. And I know there's so many people in my audience that will find the information you gave so, so valuable. One of them's me. I wrote down lots of notes. So <laughs> Dude, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what else happens with the podcast over the next few years. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, man. This is a lot of fun today. No worries, dude. All right. And guys, if you are listening to this right now, this you, you will know that this isn't the right music. I definitely pressed the wrong button there, but we're going to rock with it's it that, anyway. It's that COVID, man. It's yeah. back. It's that COVID. It's back. If you're listening right now and you're thinking, wow, Jamie, this is cool, but how do I make any money with my podcast? Then you are absolutely asking the right question, my friend. And I got an amazing little pop-up podcast for you to go and check out. It's going to show you all the different ways that we've been able to help people monetize their podcast just in the last year or so. So make sure you head over to changemakersmovement.com forward slash five days. That's number five, D-A-Y-S. Dude, I'm actually going to go and make a new URL with the letters five as well as the number five because it was really smart what you just said about the fact that it works with seven if it, it happens so many times like i can't find what you're talking about so i was like i have to do that yeah that's really smart i don't know why i never did that so guys welcome to my very thrown together outro go and download it it's going to be a ton of fun and jeremy thanks once more for being on the show dude Hey everyone, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to listen to more daily interview content, make sure you subscribe. And here's three ways I can help you in your business for free. One, check out my video on how we're building a pipeline that produces 30 plus prime sales calls every single week using podcast setters and a basic interview funnel. And this is actually how I was able to quit social media forever. You can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash setters. Two, if you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast, we actually want to interview you on one of our top 100 shows. Head to top100interview.com and then three, download our podcast closing formula. It shows you how to create a podcast sales team that books out your sales calendar each week using the podcast closing client attraction method. And you can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash podcast formula. Now at podcastclosing.com, we help six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts create a system for predictable client acquisition without relying on paid advertising or social media by building out podcast sales teams. Now, if you want help turning your podcast into a high-ticket client acquisition machine, then book a call with our team to see how we can help. Go to podcastrebels.com forward slash chat. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next interview.